0: All right. so good morning. Welcome to our meeting um, at Christ Central. My name is Mark Rushworth. I'm one of the leaders here. And thank you, Ella and the team, for leading us so well in worship this morning. Thank you to those who were contributing as well. Uh, It's really good to hear from God and be encouraged. And I believe that what was shared this morning uh, will dovetail into some of the things that I'm going to share as well. Um, We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2. And we're really going to focus in on uh, on verse four of Ephesians chapter two, but we'll we'll read verses one through ten just for some context. I'm going to read from the NIV this week, and um, you can follow on the screen or in your own Bibles. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cl- cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this isn't from yourself, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. We're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right, today we're going to look at God's great love for us. Um, We often hear about the love of God. It it can become a bit of a cliche, I guess, in some ways. I found some pictures on billboards, you know, outside church uh, buildings. You get these billboards with with different things on. Some of them are good, some of them are not so good. These are a few about God's love. I'm going to have to stand so I can see them. Uh, Jesus loves you and your tattoos. Okay? <laughs> um, hipster Jesus loved you before you were cool. <laughs> okay? Um, the next one is just a Facebook thumbs up. And I think it, I don't even know what it says. I can't read it. Um, and then uh, this this is a really corny one. Catch up with Jesus. Let us praise and relish him because he loves me from my head to my toes. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> So, we can hear about God's love. God loves us from my head to my toes. Um, what does it mean? What is, what is God's love? God's great love for us. Um, God's love for us is far from being a cliche. It's far from being something that we've just kind of grown at on a billboard. I pray that we're going to see and understand some of God's love for us this morning. I believe we already have been doing, even through the worship time and through what's been shared. Last time I preached, we saw that once we were deserving of of wrath, not God's love, of wrath by our very nature. We were slaves to sin, We talked about how we were slaves to sin. We were governed by our appetites, by by the flesh. We followed in the ways of the world. We followed uh, the the devil, the ruler of the kingdom of of the air. And all of that, because we were born in in sinfulness, born with a sinful nature, we were deserving, uh, not of God's love, but of God's wrath. And... The good news is that if we agree with that verdict on our lives, which is quite hard for us to do at first. We have to humble ourselves. But if we agree with God's verdict on our lives, if we repent, if we put our trust in the sinless Jesus, then we're raised with Christ and we have a new nature. That's what we looked at last time. And you know, it's, it's more than just being forgiven. It's more than just being forgiven. It's, it's more than just that we... Justified—that's a word that sometimes used. Justified, it—it it can mean it's just as if I—I I, I didn't sin, I, as if I never sinned. All of that's true. But if we just think, oh well, I've been forgiven when I come to Christ. Actually, then we, we we hit an issue, because the issue that we hit is we still sin, we still do sin, and and so we can say, oh, I'm made clean in God, but 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 now I've I've sinned again, and so I'm going to have to just keep coming back to God, I I've got to get clean all over again. We can we can start to, you know, think, well, maybe God doesn't love me because because I keep sinning and I keep doing this and it can become a bit of a spiritual version of he loves me, he loves me not. Is that something that you do here? Do you do the thing with the, with the flowers and pick the petals off? Yeah, a few, few of you are nodding, few of you are looking a little <laughs> not sure. We, we used to do that uh, with, with little daisies in England. Uh, you'd pick the flower off, the petal off, and it'd be like, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, oh, she loves me, she loves me not. And, um, and it, it was whatever you ended up with, oh, she loves me not. Um, you can kind of think, if I'm doing well, if I'm doing well in my life, if I'm, if I'm walking with God, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm reading my Bible, if I'm praying, if I'm serving, then God loves me. And if I'm not doing those things, well, probably God doesn't love me quite as much. Does he love me if I mess up? We can feel insecure about it. We can just get that insecurity, that uncertainty in our lives about whether God really does Lovers, And the Bible's wanting to tell us, Paul's wanting to encourage us, that it's so much more secure than that. We've been raised with Christ. We're treated the same way that Jesus is treated by God the Father. It doesn't change depending on our performance. And the reason for that is because of God's great love for us. Because of God's great love for us. And, and we, we get something of the extent of God's love when we read that. It's great. It's God's great love. When, God, when the Bible talks about God's love, it always tends to be spoken about in kind of superlatives. There's always some word describing his love. It's a great love. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 5 and verse 1, follow God's example as dearly loved children. We're not just loved children. We're dearly loved children. Knowing just how much God loves us and knowing who we are in him actually motivates us and guides us in what we do and how we live our lives. We, we dearly love children. We're completely secure in that if we know that so we can follow God's example. That's what Paul says. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. In, in 1 John chapter 3, the, the theme's taken up by John. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And he says, and that is what we are. He's like, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. We need to keep be, be constantly reminded of these truths, of who we are. It's not just that God kind of thinks you're okay. It's not that, that he kind of likes you sometimes. He's passionate about you. God is passionate about you. He's passionate about me. He loves us with an everlasting love. What, what other things do, does the Bible tell us about God's love for us? Numbers 14 says, The Lord is slow to anger, but abounding in love. So yes, we, we, the wrath of God, the anger of God against sin is part of his character. But he's slow to anger, but he's abounding in love. He loves to pour out his love. He's quick off the mark when it comes to loving us. I've just referred to one, Jeremiah 31, 3. I've loved you with an everlasting love. An everlasting love. God's love for us goes back in time and it stretches forward into eternity. It's everlasting. His love is so wide and so high and so deep. Romans 38, 838 tells us that nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing's going to shake God's love for you. Do you believe that? Do you, be, do you really believe that nothing is going to shake off God's love for you? You're not going to offend him and him, him go, well, oh, that's it, I, I'm done. You, you might know some people, there might be some people who you want to pretty well, and you, and you were in good friendship with them. They were close friends, but maybe now something happened. Maybe something happened to get in the way of that relationship. Now there's a distance. Maybe you hardly see them anymore. Friendship's just not as close as it used to be. We can think God's like that. No, God's not like that. God's not going to get offended by you and walk away. You've, you've, you've been born to a new life. You're in Christ now, and you're secure in that. There's a security in that. People can, can fall in love with someone, and they can fall out of love with someone. It's temporary. Being in relationship with one person, oh, you know, things aren't working out. I don't feel the way I did about them. I'm going to move on. I'm going to go with someone else now. God's love isn't fickle like that. God's love is strong, it's committed, it's never ending. There's nothing you can do to push away God's love. There's nothing you can do to repel it. He'll keep on pursuing you. He'll keep on pursuing you. The Hebrew word for for it is hesed, steadfast love, unfailing love, covenant love. It's God deciding he's going to love us. In, in so many ways, it's a one-sided love. God says, I'm going to love you. And my love for you doesn't depend even on whether you love me. It's not going to get thrown off by your response. We, we can't shake it off. It's stubborn. We see this played out in the story that Jesus tells of the lost son. You know, this, the, the son who asks for his father's inheritance. He treats him as though he was dead, basically. I want the inheritance now. I'm going to go away. you you He's basically saying to his father, you're dead to me. He goes and he wastes the money. He squanders it all. When he finally comes to his senses and he comes back, the the father isn't telling him off. He's not like pushing him away. The father runs to him, runs to him, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, throws a party to celebrate because that's the love that God has for us. That's his great love. There may be times that you've gone away from God. Maybe you've gone away from God for quite some time and then you come to your senses and you you start to come back to God and maybe you're thinking in the same way that 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 son did in the story. You know, well, maybe I'll just come back. I'll just say, oh God, you know, I'll come and serve you. I'll do anything. You know, I owe you so much. I'm so sorry. God, God runs to us and he says, you're my child. You're my child. I love you. I want you as part of my family again. Come on, let's have a party. Let's celebrate because I love you. Do you remember Peter in the the Gospels? Peter, Jesus' friend. Peter who says, I'm going to die for you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll I'll, I'll go to the cross. If you go to the cross, I'll go to the cross with you. And and Jesus says, you're even going to deny me. I know your heart better than you know your own heart. I know your love is fickle. It's not as strong as you would like it to be. uh, Peter says, yes, it is. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Peter denies him. He ends up swearing that he doesn't even know Jesus. And the Bible says, as he was swearing, and literally swearing, I don't know him. The Bible says Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Have you ever wondered how he looked at him? You can look at people in different ways, can't you? How did Jesus look at Peter at that point when Peter was denying he even knew him? Was he, was he looking at him in disappointment? Was he looking at him with rebuke? Was he looking at him with anger? I believe No. He was looking at him with love. He looked at Peter with love. Because Peter's love was fickle. But Jesus' love was not. Jesus' love wasn't shaken off. How do we know that? Because after the resurrection, Jesus comes to find Peter. Peter's full of shame. Peter's gone back to his old way of life. He's gone back fishing. He's out on the boat again. And Jesus comes to find Peter. Peter. And he invites him to come and eat with him. And, and, and Peter's, he's unsure what to do. But there's no reproach. There's no rebuke. Jesus doesn't come and find him on the lake and conjure up a storm to punish him. He just shows him love. And he says, Peter, you know, do you love me? Do you love me? Because I love you. And I've got things I want you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my lambs. Jesus's love wasn't thrown off. If you're rebelling against God, if if your heart's cold towards him, you've got to know he still loves you. He still loves you. The goodness of God will win you back. Whatever you've done, whatever you've done, however far you've fallen, if you come back, you'll find love great love, strong love, unfailing love, never-ending love, love that reinstates you. That's the love of God. That's the love that God has had for you before creation. Before you were born, God loved you with an everlasting love. He loves you. That's what he wants you to know this morning. But you know, there's a problem. The problem is this. Sometimes... We look for the evidence of God's love in our lives and we don't see it. We look for it, we don't see it. We look at all the things that are going on in our lives, all the difficulties. And when we've been talking about this this morning, haven't we? All the things that we're battling with, that we're struggling with, the disappointments, the, the, the health issues that we're facing, the things that have happened that we're like, why has God allowed this to happen, and we see that, and we look for evidence of God's love, and we say, I don't see that you love me, because why is this going on? Where's God in all of this? So many distressing, difficult, heartbreaking things going on in our lives, and we think, well, God can't love me. God must have left me, but Paul is confident in God's love. Paul's confident in God's love. Well, why is that? Is that because he's never had any hardships that he's had to face? Well, not at all. If you look at uh, 2 Corinthians, for example, chapter 11, he, he talks about some of the things that he's had to face. He says this, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 24. He says, five times I received from the Jews The 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes. It was thought that people would die if they were whipped 40 times, so they got whipped 39 times to keep them alive. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, bandits in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toil. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. That's that's Paul's life. That's what he's faced. I mean, wow. If anyone had reason to doubt that God loved him because of his circumstances, it was Paul. If we'd faced 39 lashes once, we might wonder where God was. Five times, five times, shipwrecked. If we, if we get on a boat and we get shipwrecked, we might be like, what on earth's going on, God? Where are you? Three times, three times shipwrecked. You would be nervous traveling with Paul. <laughs> if Paul invited you to go on a journey with him, you'd be like, oh, <laughs> it's not got a great record. It, seriously, if Paul's looking at all these things that have happened to him, He's in danger everywhere he goes. He's in danger in the city. He's in danger in the country. He's in da- Where can he escape? Where can, he's in danger all the time. He's constantly facing things. Does he doubt God's love for him? He doesn't doubt God's love for him because he doesn't judge God's love by his circumstances. The gifts and blessings that God pours out in our lives are wonderful but, but they're not the main evidence of God's love for us. We have to understand that. I once went to a meeting, and someone, uh, it was a, a, for children, and someone was being interviewed, and they were saying, how do you know, the question was, how do you know God loves you? And she said, well, I know God loves me because he's given me a wonderful husband. And I know God loves me because he's given me three beautiful children. And, and I thought, okay, but what about those who are single what does that say about God's love for them what about those who are infertile what what does that God say you know if if our health tells us that God loves us what about the people who have cancer if if our if our finance financial state and our material possessions show God's blessing on us and love for us what about those who live in poverty The greatest temptation for all of us is to measure or doubt God's love for us because of what happens in our lives. We can't measure it by that. We can enjoy the blessings God gives us, but that isn't a measure of God's love for us. We have to understand that. So, I mean, what what are we supposed to do? Just sort of pretend things aren't happening? Oh, God loves me anyway. Play some sort of spiritual mind games. Just go by willpower. No. The gospel isn't just for those who've got enough willpower to say, well, I'm just going to believe that God loves me anyway. No. The evidence of our lives might tell us, might, might tempt us to think God's forgotten us. Might lead us to think maybe God doesn't love us. But that's not the evidence we should be looking at. Romans 5 helps us in this. Paul speaks about Christ's death on the cross and he says, God Demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we know God's love. God demonstrates His own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's the measure of God's love for us. God demonstrates it in that. I bought a new car this week, and when I spoke to the salesperson at the showroom, he was keen to demonstrate all the features of the car to me. He was, he was pretty proud of it. He got in and he's like, oh, and if you do this, you can this will happen. And if you can, this button here does this and this does this. And oh, if you do this, then that goes over. He's, he's demonstrating. He took about 25 minutes. He's showing me every little button. Like, I'll figure it out. He's like, no, let me show you. And uh, <laughs> demonstrating all the features of the car. That's what God does with us. He demonstrates his love for us in Christ's death on the cross and he wants to show us all the features of it. He wants us to consider all the amazing aspects of his love for us. It's not just like oh he died on the cross. No, 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 let me explain it to you. Well, I'll figure it out myself. No, 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 let me show you. And and the Bible tells us it shows us the features of God's love. God takes us to a hill of Calvary, he shows us the cross where his son is dying, taking on our sin, where the wrath of God's being poured out on his son. And he says, I want you to consider every aspect. And so as we preach week by week, as we sing songs about Jesus week by week, there'll be different elements that will come out to us. You know, people will share things and and contribute and, and bring spiritual gifts and we'll think, do you know what? I never saw it like that before. I never understood it in that way before. There can be, it's great to sing new songs. We sang a new song this morning. There's lines that you think, oh, wow, that's just shone a light on an aspect of God's love. I'm seeing it in a new way. When we preach, hopefully, it's not just the same thing every week. Hopefully you see new aspects of God's love, new features of God's love demonstrated on the cross. Let's just take a few minutes uh, as, we, as we come to the end uh, of the meeting today. Let's just take a few minutes to consider one or two features of God's love demonstrate, demonstrated on the cross. I'm sure many of us have been to weddings where the bride and groom exchange vows to each other. Some of us here today are engaged. You'll have your wedding. You'll be exchanging vows uh, to each other and Over here in, uh, in Canada, one of the things that we've noticed, because we moved from England eight years ago, and it's, over here it's more of a feature that people write their own vows. That never really happened much where we were in the UK, but over here people often write their own vows, um, which can have some real benefit because it, it means that they're saying something which is really heartfelt. They're not just like reading some words and maybe it doesn't mean a whole lot at the worst but some of the traditional vows that we have do reflect some biblical truth that marriage isn't just about two people but actually is a reflection of Christ and the church the Bible talks about that doesn't it in Ephesians 5 Paul says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother be united to his wife the two will become one flesh he says this is a profound mystery and then he goes but I'm talking about Christ and the church And you think, you're confusing me, Paul. I thought you were talking about husbands and wives. No, no, I'm talking about Christ and the church. There's a reflection of our marriage, in marriage, of us leaving who we once were and now being joined to Christ, just as husband and wife are joined together. We become united with Christ, and Paul's saying that. And so we see signs of God's love for us in marriage, and we see it actually in some of the vows. Now, I don't know what the traditional vows were in Canada or are in Canada, but I know what we, what we said when we got married, um, which was 30 years ago. And we got married in an Anglican church. And as we gave and received the rings, this was typically what was said and still is said in Anglican churches. We said, I give you this ring as a sign of our marriage. With my body, I honor you all that I am, I give to you, all that I have, I share with you, within the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is that, was that a common vow here? Pretty close. All right. I give you this ring as a sign of a, my marriage, with my body I honor you, all that I am, I give to you, all that I have, I share with you. So I would say this is a profound mystery as well, and it's talking about the cross. So it's not just about sharing our hockey card collection or our Star Wars memorabilia or even our toothbrush, if you do that. <laughs> I don't suppose many people do that. Well, it does say all that I have I give to you and share with you. No. <laughs> 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 the, truth, the, the, the truth in Scripture is that on the cross, as Jesus was on the cross, we shared with Christ all that we have. He'd already come to share with us our flesh and our blood. On the cross, we gave him our sin and our death and our shame and our sorrow and our sickness. If you know, Jesus was the most attractive person who's ever lived. Psalm 45 describes, is a, is a wedding psalm, and it describes a bridegroom, but it, but it soon realised it's talking about God. It goes, there's a, there's a line in it, that says, your throne, O God, will last for eternity. It's talking about God. It talks about him as being the most handsome of men, but yet this beautiful one, Jesus, would be lifted up on the cross, and he would be disfigured, because he's taking on disfigurement. His beard was pulled out. His body was pierced and blooded. He was beaten. He was spat upon. The king, in all his beauty, became gruesome, horrifying to behold. If you've ever watched The Passion of the Christ, that's one of the most striking things about that movie. It's so distressing to watch. You just see how horribly disfigured Jesus looks. But that's the point. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he took our pain, bore our suffering. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we're healed. Out of his love for his bride, the church, Jesus, the bridegroom, took on all of her sickness and ugliness so that she might have his loveliness. Richard Sibbs says, Christ was never more lovely to the church than when he was deformed for his church. He took on our ugliness and our sinfulness so that he could share everything he had with us. Martin Luther tells the story of a king who marries a poor girl of ill repute. And as they say those vows that I've just read at their wedding, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. She shares with the king her debts and her shame. And then the king replies, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And Luther says, at that point, the wretched girl becomes the queen and the kingdom is hers. Our bridegroom has taken all of our sin and death and judgment, and he shares everything he has with us. His life, his perfect righteousness, he's become poor so that we might become rich. And so often as as Christians, we can think about ourselves as poor and sinful, but in Christ we're not. We have his righteousness. He shared it with us. We're weak. We've heard that this morning. We're weak, Bob was saying, but in Christ we're strong. He gives us his strength as we're united in him. We're not boasting about it ourselves. We're not thinking we've got anything, but we're coming to him. We're foolish, but he's wise, and so in him we can be wise. We're lacking. He has everything, and he shares it with us, and so we have everything in him. We're clothed in him. We're clothed in his righteousness. Bible says we're clothed in his righteousness. Just as Adam and Eve, after they'd sinned, were clothed by God in the, sin, in the skin of the sacrificial animal in Genesis 3. Christians are clothed with Christ. We don't have to stand there facing God in the fig leaves of our own shame and efforts. We, we appear before him clothed by him. In his perfection. We see it in Jacob and Esau as well. You know, Jake, the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob. Horrible guy. Deceitful. Nasty. Scheming. Esau was the firstborn. Esau is going to receive God's blessing. Jacob wants that blessing. He's manipulative about it. He, he, he clothes himself. In Esau, Esau's clothes. And he goes to Isaac who's blind. And asks for the blessing. And Isaac's saying, oh, and he smells him and he feels him. And he says, oh, it's Esau. I'm going to give you the blessing. And you think, that's not right. How does he do that? It's not right. That's not fair. It's not. Jacob didn't deserve that. But we don't deserve what we receive from God either. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We come to God and God sees Christ's righteousness because we're clothed in him. He doesn't see who we really are down below. Well, he does know, but we're clothed in Christ, we're him. How do we know God loves us so dearly? 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Again, Luther said, would you have ever thought that a man dying on the cross was the definition of love? Would you have ever looked at the miscarriage of justice that was his trial and imagined that there, above all, is displayed the perfect justice of God? Yet God did it to demonstrate his justice. Would you have ever dreamed that the Almighty would make the definitive display of his power there nailed to a cross between common criminals? There seems to be nothing powerful about that man in the throes of death. Yet hanging there, he's crushing the head of the serpent. He's tying up the strong man. He's driving out the prince of this world. He's destroying death. He's putting the spiritual powers to open shame. He's triumphing over them. On the cross, we see true power used as it should be to bless. Adam sought knowledge from the tree and he died. Christ died on his tree and won for us a knowledge altogether more wonderful, the knowledge of God. And on the cross, we're given not only the sweet salvation of God, but the revelation of God. On the cross, we see how humble, how self-giving, how perfectly generous and how compassionate the living God is. And so on the cross, we see God's great love for us. And the more we see it, the more we marvel in it. And the more we see it, the more we keep coming back to the cross as the basis of God's love for us rather than our circumstances. We will find God's strength in our battles. We will run to him, run to the Father, rather than run away from him thinking he doesn't care. The more we see of God's love for us, the, more, the less we rely on our performance, the less we rely on our self-confidence. We're not going to be that emotional yo-yo up because we've been to church and we've prayed, down because we haven't. It's no longer, he loves me, he loves me not, depending on what we do or we feel. He loves me if I've done well. He doesn't love me if I haven't. No, the cross tells us this. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. That's what God wants us to see this morning. He loves us. And we're gonna celebrate that right now as we share communion together. So I'd I'd like to invite Ella and the band to just come back up. If you have not got one of these uh, little communion pots, which has got a a wafer on the top and some juice inside, uh, the welcome team have got some. So if you just raise your hand and you want one, then they'll come and give you one. There's a few down here at the front, Celeste and some at the back. Just keep your hand up until you've got one and they'll, uh, they'll see you. If you're at home, try and get something as well. We're just going to come before God. I think when we've been talking and hearing about God's great love for us, it's so good to respond, isn't it? It's so good to respond and, and, and come humbly before him and say how much we love him. God's eyes are looking for those whose hearts are completely his. He's won our hearts He's won our hearts. Let's come and celebrate that. I'm just going to pray. We've remembered Jesus on the cross. We know what he did. Just before he died, he took the bread and he took the wine and he said, this is my body. She's broken for you for the forgiveness of sins and he took the cup and he said this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins and as often as you drink it do this in remembrance of me so why don't we just as Ella plays we'll just take the wafer and we can just eat that together reflect on God's love for us and then you can drink the the juice reflect on his blood poured out for us. God I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that the place that we see it is on the cross. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know. We thank you, God. And I pray that we will just keep coming to you, receiving your love, knowing your unending unshakable love in whatever circumstances we face in our lives Lord forgive us for where we've measured your love depending on what we're going through at the time or keep bringing us back to measuring your love by what Jesus went through for us sharing everything he had with us taking on our ugliness so that we might receive his beauty thank you Jesus why don't we stand together let's just end by singing about this great love